Find 2 Kings 23, and we're going to cover a lot of material tonight, and perhaps, maybe perhaps, finish up tonight with 2 Kings. And we're talking on the subject matter of Judgment Day. I do want to warn you, this is one of the more difficult lessons to teach with all the names and dates and you know, this person, that person, this date, and then this happened, and this one was put on the throne. His name was changed. I've tried to give you some of that in the notes uh, for tonight, and I, I shrunk the print down a little bit to get a little bit more in there for you. So uh, hopefully you can go back and read over that uh, if you don't follow everything exactly tonight. But a lot of reading tonight. Let's pick up in verse 31. Uh, well, let's pick up at the end of verse 30 of chapter 23. Lots of reading tonight, okay? And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in place of his father. Jeho- Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Hamatol, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libnah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his predecessors had done. How often have we read that? Pharaoh Necho put him in chains in Riblah in the land of Hamath, so that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on Judah a levy of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. Pharaoh Necho made uh, Eliakim, son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah, and changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoahaz and carried him off to Egypt, and there he died. Jehoiakim paid Pharaoh Necho the silver and gold he demanded. In order to do so, he taxed the land and exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land according to their assessments. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name was Zebedah, daughter of Padiah. She was from Arumah. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his predecessors had done. During Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded the land, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. But then he turned against Nebuchadnezzar and rebelled. The Lord sent... Uh, Babylon, Babylonian, Aramean, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders against him to destroy Judah in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by his servants, the prophets. Surely these things happened to Judah according to the Lord's command. In order to remove them from his presence because of the sins of Manasseh and all he had done, including the shedding of innocent blood, For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord was not willing to forgive. As for the other events of Jehoiakim's reign, all that he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? Jehoiakim rested with his ancestors, and Jehoiachin, his son, succeeded him as king. The king of Egypt did not march out from his own country again because the king of Babylon had taken all his territory from the Wadi of Egypt to the Euphrates River. Jehoiachin 
was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nahushta, daughter of uh, Elnathan. She was from Jerusalem. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. At that time, the officers of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, advanced on Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And Nebuchadnezzar himself came up to the city while his officers were uh, besieging it. Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother, his attendants, his nobles, and his officials all surrendered to him. In the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoiachin prisoner. As the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and cut up the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried all Jerusalem into exile, all the officers and fighting men, all the skilled workers and artisans, a total of 10,000. Only the poorest people of the land were left. Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiachin captive to Babylon. He also took from Jerusalem to Babylon the king's mother, his wives, his officials, and the prominent people of the land. The king of Babylon also deported to Babylon the entire force of 7,000 fighting men, strong and fit for war, and a 1,000 skilled workers and artisans. He made Madaniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name was Hamatal, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libna. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as Jehoiakim had done. It was because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah. And in the end, he thrust them from his presence. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built a siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the eleventh month of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden. Though the Babylonians were surrounding the city, they fled toward the Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. On the seventh day of the fifth month, in the nineteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard, an official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army, under the commander of the imperial guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard, carried into exile the people who remained in the city. 
along with the rest of the populace and those who had deserted to the king of Babylon. But the commander left behind some of the poorest people of the land to work the vineyards and fields. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars, the movable stands, and the bronze sea that were at the temple of the Lord, and they carried the bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, shovels, wick trimmers, dishes, and all the bronze articles used in the temple service. The commander of the imperial guard took away the censers and sprinkling bowls, all that were made of pure gold or silver. The bronze from the two pillars, the sea and the movable stands which Solomon had made for the temple of the Lord was more than could be weighed. Each pillar was 18 cubits high. The bronze capital on top of one pillar was three cubits high and was de decorated with a network and pomegranates of bronze all around. The other pillar with its network was similar. The commander of the guard took his prisoners, Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the priest next in rank, and three doorkeepers. Of those still in the city, he took the officer in charge of the fighting men and five royal advisors. He also took the secretary, who was chief officer in charge of conscripting the people of the land, and 60 of the conscripts who were found in the city. Nebuzaradan, the commander, took them all and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. There at Riblah, in the, hand, in the land of Hamath, the king had them executed. So Judah went into captivity away from her land. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, appointed Gedaliah, son of uh, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, to be over the people he left behind in Judah. When all the army officers and their men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah as governor, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael, son of Nathaniah, Johanan, son of Kareah, Sareah, son of Tanhumeth, the hard word, hard word, son of hard word, and their men, Gedaliah, <laughs> took an oath to reassure them and their men, do not be afraid of the Babylonian officials, he said. Settle down in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it will go well with you. In the seventh month, however, Ishmael, son of Nathaniah, the son of uh, Elishama, who was of royal blood, came with ten men and assassinated Gedaliah and also the men of Judah and the Babylonians who were with him at Mizpah. At this, all the people from the least to the greatest, together with the army officers, fled to Egypt for fear of the Babylonians. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the year Awal Marduk became king of Babylon, he released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. He did this on the 27th day of the 12th month. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of honor higher than those of the other kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived. Judgment day. Looking back, it's still hard to believe how quickly it all happened. The former Soviet Union was 
supposedly one of the world's superpowers. Its tentacles reached around the world. President Reagan called it the evil empire. When Mikhail Gorbachev came to power in 1985, he wanted to revitalize what he felt had become a stagnant and closed society. Uh, Gorbachev declared his commitment to perestroika, restructuring, and blasmos, openness. He wanted to throw open the windows and let light and fresh air in. But things were too far gone. There was economic stagnation, political corruption, nationalistic dissatisfactions, yearning from freedom, uh, for freedom from the masses, and military overspending. A series of military and technical disasters such as Afghanistan and Chernobyl further undermined government credibility. The increasing military superiority of the U.S. played its part, as did the new information technologies that made it increasingly difficult for Soviet leadership to hide things from its own people. In 1989, the evil empire began to unravel. The Warsaw, Black, uh, the Warsaw Bloc countries declared their independence of Moscow. In December of the same year, uh, those of Berlin tore down the infamous Berlin Wall, and by 1990, the Baltic republics asserted their independence and ethnic conflicts broke out on many fronts. The Ukrainian president later observed the whole country was falling apart before our very eyes and not because we had planned it. In August of 1991, as the economy plummeted, the Gang of Eight, a group of hard-line communists, attempted a coup which failed as democratic forces rallied behind Boris Yeltsin. Within days, the republics declared their independence, and in December, the Union of Socialist Soviet Republics disbanded. One empire had become 15 countries and a power only decades before on the brink of world domination was consigned to history's ash heap. Now folks, as we finish up 2 Kings, we're struck by how fast things have occurred for Israel and now Judah. Uh, it's as though events just seem to be rushing with great speed downhill. Now, we know in one sense the nation has destroyed itself. The uh, British political leader, Richard Cobden, made the observation that every great nation falls by suicide. The nation of Judah has slowly been doing what? Committing suicide because of their moral and spiritual corruption and disobedience to God. God may have used the Babylonians as his rod of judgment, but what happened was the in inevitable result of Judah's rebellion against God. Folks, the great reforms of Josiah and Hezekiah, <laughs> as wonderful as those reforms were, they were short-lived because as soon as the men died who had initiated them, the people went back to the cesspool. And that just shows a valuable lesson right there, doesn't it? 
as big a blessing as leaders are, yet if the hearts of the people under them aren't likewise transformed, as soon as the leader dies, the people are just going to go back to their old ways. And that's what we've been seeing as we've been going through these books. And what we see time and time again is while the wheels of God's judgment may grind slowly, nonetheless, they grind surely. Sooner or later, there's judgment day. We face judgment. And so judgment denied, or judgment delayed, doesn't mean judgment denied. It's already been judgment day for Israel. The Assyrians have brought the ten northern tribes to an end. They're out of the picture now. For another hundred years, Judah had the example of seeing what happened to her sister nation. And yet Judah continued down the very same path of destruction. Now God carried them away into exile for 70 years, brought them back. And why? Why did God preserve them and he didn't preserve the ten tribes? A remnant from Judah, the Messiah, was going to come through the line of Judah in the southern kingdom. So whereas the ten tribes have been destroyed, God preserves the two southern tribes in the line of David for the Messiah. But again, he judges them. Just like he judged the northern kingdom, he judged the southern kingdom because of their disobedience to God. And he raised up other nations. He raised up Babylon in particular to be his rod of judgment against them. First thing I want you to see tonight is a chain of weak links. A chain of weak links. Reading the final verses of chapter uh, 23 from 30 down through 37. Uh, Josiah was killed unexpectedly, you'll remember, at the hands of Pharaoh Necho in 609 B.C. And when he was killed, the people made Jehoahaz king. Jehoahaz was a throne name, apparently. His given name was Shalem. You see, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 3, Josiah had four sons. And those sons were Jehonan, Eliakim, Mataniah, and Shalem. And so when Josiah died, the people put his youngest son, Jehoahaz, or Shalem, on the throne. We know nothing about Jehonan. Some assume he must have died early in childhood. Why the other two sons were bypassed is anybody's guess. But it's Josiah's youngest son, Shalem, or Jehoahaz, that's now put on the He rules for three months. And he was certainly no Josiah. Josiah was a righteous man. Jehoahaz was evil and wicked. Remember also with the death of Josiah, Judah had become subject to Egypt from 609 to 606 B.C. 
So when Necho was returning to Egypt with his army, he deposed Jehoahaz and made Eliakim the king, renaming him Jehoiakim. Now it's believed that Jehoahaz was pro-Babylon and Eliakim was pro-Egypt. So this move on the part of an Egyptian pharaoh really comes as no surprise to put the one on the throne of Judah who would be more favorable to Egypt. Jehoiakim was nothing but a puppet of Egypt. And under him, Egypt taxed the people of Judah heavily. Now, Jehoiakim reigned for 11 years from 609 to 598 B.C., and, and spiritually speaking, he was a clone of his brother. He, too, was evil. They were not like their dad. I want you to remember, it was Jehoiakim who took the scroll of Jeremiah the prophet, cut it in pieces, and had, had it burned. You remember that? So whereas Josiah had great respect for the word of God, Jehoiakim has no respect for the word of God. Has it cut up and burned? Tells you the type of people we're dealing with here. Well, I want you to see secondly, beginning in chapter 24, God's judgment falls. In 605 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon invaded the land. At the Battle of Carchemish on the Euphrates River, Nebuchadnezzar defeated an alliance of Assyria and Egypt, and Jehoiakim, king of Judah, became his vassal. Now, we need to also remember God had told Jeremiah the prophet all of this was going to happen. Remember that vision? that God gave Jeremiah, even in chapter 1 of the book of Jeremiah, when he said, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah said, I see a big pot in the north tilting over and pouring towards Judah. You remember that? In Jeremiah chapter 1, he saw an almond tree and he saw the big pot the boiling pot tilting toward. Uh, and, and, and you remember what God told Jeremiah? This pot symbolized who? Babylon to the north, to the northeast. There's that big boiling pot tilting over towards Judah. In other words, God was showing uh, Jeremiah destruction to Judah was going to come from this nation symbolized by a boiling pot turned towards them. It was during this first invasion and deportation to Babylon that who was taken captive? Do you remember? Daniel. Daniel and his companions were taken captive. Now I want you to remember there were deportations. When the Babylonians came in under Nebuchadnezzar, there were three deportations of the people of Judah over to uh, Babylon. There was a deportation in 605, one in 597, and one in 586. 
Second Chronicles indicates that Jehoiakim was also bound and taken to Babylon. But he was allowed to return to Jerusalem where he remained loyal for three years. In 601 B.C., I told you tonight, I'm giving you a lot of dates, okay? 601 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar attempted to invade Egypt. He was held back. He was forced to return to Babylon in order to strengthen his army. This pushback by Egypt apparently emboldened Jehoiakim to try to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Until Nebuchadnezzar could get back in the area, he used forces in the region uh, to harass and defeat Judah. Now, folks, we've got to remember, again, all of this is from the hand of the Lord. Other nations might have been involved, especially Babylon, in Judah's downfall, but they were all instruments in the hands of a sovereign God. God was using surrounding nations and kingdoms to judge his own people. What you and I need to see, God's sovereign. He uses kings and nations and and circumstances in the world to carry out his plans. We need to remember that. God doesn't work in our life and in our nation and in our churches with us in some kind of little protective bubble. It's the circumstances of life, the events of life that God brings our way through which God works in our lives, either for the good or the bad. For blessing or for judgment. And that's what he's doing with Judah. He's using nations around him and kings around him, especially Babylon, to bring judgment against them. Now, Jeremiah predicted that Jehoiakim would have the burial of a donkey. And sure enough, when he died, he was given no honor in burial. In fact, his body was just thrown out in a pit outside the city walls of Jerusalem, and there was no funeral or burial. He died in disgrace. Well, third thing I want you to see, a nation goes into exile. Jehoiachin was put on the throne of Judah in place of Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiachin was only 18 years old. He lasted just three months. He too was evil. In March 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar sent his troops to lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. And this time, guess what? Nebuchadnezzar himself showed up with his troops. 597, March of 597. Jehoiachin led the royal family and the leadership of the nation in surrendering to the Babylonians. Jeremiah the prophet had also prophesied this humiliating event in Jeremiah 22. And we're told here that all of this happened in the eighth year of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, folks, this is the first time events have been dated according to the rule of a pagan king. The royal chronology of Judah has come to an end and the times of the Gentiles have begun. And so things are accorded here according to the years of a pagan king. 
instead of the kings of Judah. Significant. Daniel's already been taken to Babylon in 605. Uh, now with this invasion in 597, who else was taken to Babylon? Do you remember? Ezekiel. Yes, very good. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar put Jehoiachin's uncle, Madaniah, on the throne and changed his name to Zedekiah. He reigned from 11 years, from 597 to 587. The end began with an ill-fated attempt of Zedekiah to break free from Babylon. Jeremiah warned Zedekiah against doing so, telling Zedekiah that it was God's will for him to submit to the yoke of Babylon. But, but Zedekiah chose to believe false prophets who claimed that the nation could now get help from Egypt. Well, in December of 589, Nebuchadnezzar responded by marching once again against Jerusalem. The siege lasted for 18 months. He essentially starved them out. In the book of Lamentations, we read that parents were eating their own children. Now, when your kids became teenagers, at times you might have been tempted to do that, to eat your children. But, I mean, that's how bad it got. People were eating their children. That's how bad this 18-month siege uh, was. Well, in July 587, the city wall was broken. The Babylonians entered Jerusalem. The king and some of the army escaped. Zedekiah fled eastward, but Zedekiah and his men were overtaken. Where? In the plains of Jericho. Now, what's interesting about that? God's people from Judah, they're coming to an end where it all started for. Remember when Joshua, when Moses dies off, Joshua leads the people over the Jordan River, and where do they go first? Jericho. Jericho, where they first entered the Promised Land. Now God's judging them and bringing them to an end for 70 years. Where does it all end for? Jericho, where it began. Ironic, isn't it? Here on the plains of Jericho, Zedekiah and his troops are chased down and they're captured. Uh, they marched Zedekiah before Nebuchadnezzar. They killed the sons of Zedekiah right in front of him. And then they gouged his eyes out, put him in shackles and took him to Babylon. Now, Ezekiel the prophet prophesied about this. Ezekiel said that the king of Judah would be taken to Babylon but that he would not see the city of Babylon. Well, why would he not see the city of Babylon? Because his eyes have been gouged out. 
Well, meanwhile, what's going on back in Jerusalem? The city and the temple is being dismantled. And every building being set on fire. They broke down the walls around the city. They captured more people, deported more people. They only left the poorest people behind because after all, Babylon was still, even though Judah was devastated, Babylon was still going to, from afar, from a distance, manage the land. Uh, and so they left the poor people there who could take care of the land, the vineyards and, and, the, and the farms and so forth. Jeremiah the prophet was also left behind. Now again, to get the full extent of the grief of what Jeremiah is feeling and what the people of Judah are feeling, you really need to go home tonight and read the book of Lamentations just to understand how grieved and sad they were and how bad the destruction was. Read Lamentations. Well, in verses 18 to 21... Nebuzaradan, who was Nebuchadnezzar's official in charge of destroying Jerusalem, took a group of leading citizens and had them executed. The close of verse 21 is a sad, sad statement. So Judah went into captivity away from her land. That's, this is a key moment in Old Testament history. Judah went into captivity away from her land. And she's going to be in captivity in Babylon how many years? 70 years. Okay? Well, verses 22 to 26, we see Nebuchadnezzar put a local in charge of anybody left. He had so weakened and destroyed the people of Judah, he didn't even really think, I guess, that it was necessary to leave one of his own men in charge. He appointed Gedaliah, who was a member of an influential family. Uh, his grandfather had been a scribe under Josiah. The men of Judah who were left came to Gedaliah one day and Gedaliah counseled them to not be afraid of the Babylonians anymore. He told them that the Babylonians had done all the evil to the people of Judah that they had planned to do. And so what the people of Judah needed to do now was just settle down, rebuild the land for the time being and serve the king of Babylon. And you know, it's the same message that Jeremiah the prophet gave to the exiles who were taken to Babylon. Remember what Jeremiah told them? You're going away for 70 years. Be good citizens there. You could be in a foreign land, but build businesses, raise your families, obey the laws of the land, be good citizens. Because as the city of Babylon prospers, you will prosper. You're, you're going there for 70 years. Make the most of it. Make the best of it. Because as Babylonia goes, so you will go. So work for the good of the city. That's a good word to Christians today, right? Wherever we live, too. Work for the good of the city. Work for the good of the place wherever you live. If where you live prospers, you're going to prosper, right? 
And Jeremiah, of course, obviously told him in Jeremiah 29 that ultimately God had good plans for him. He was going to bring them back after 70 years, replant them in their land, prosper them once again, and eventually the Messiah would come through the line of David. So in the midst of all this judgment, what has God done for the people? He's given them hope too, right? Yeah, it's going to be bad. It's judgment. It's going to be painful. But ultimately, God's plans for you and your children and grandchildren are for good. God's going to prosper you as a nation again. God's not done with you. Well, they assassinate Gedaliah and kill the Jews and Babylonians who were uh, still in the land with, with Gedaliah. Realizing the consequences of doing this, they all fled to Egypt. Jeremiah warned them against fleeing, but ultimately they seized Jeremiah, took him with them. And so Jerusalem ends up a ghost town. And again, you can read about that in Lamentations chapter 1 and also in Lamentations chapter 4. Ghost town. Now, verses 27 to 30. We fast forward 27 years into the future. Remember, Jehoiachin had been taken captive when? In 597. So we've reached the year 561. Just when we thought the story of the Judean kings had come to a tragic end, we discover that the long-forgotten Jehoiachin is still alive. He's released from prison, he's treated with respect, and he's given a royal pension. Jehoiachin is a king in name only, without a people or a state. But he's sitting at the king's table in Babylon. Now what's important about that? <clears throat> Folks, what's so important about this Babylonian king? Suddenly here's Jehoiachin, long forgotten, He's set free, sitting at the king's table. What's the message in that? The message in that is God's covenant with his people has not died. The covenant that God had made with Israel, that somebody from the line of David, that, that the Messiah would be someone, humanly speaking, from the line of David, God is preserving that promise. Here's this long-forgotten king of Judah we've forgotten about. Now he resurfaces. He's treated with honor because God is preserving the line of the kings and will do so until he carries them back to their own land again. So a link, what we're being shown is a link to the Davidic covenant had not died. When we think of the covenant, God's people were not faithful with their end of the covenant, but God is faithful. God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. And that's what we're seeing here. We serve a God who cannot lie, who does not lie. And everything He's promised, He will bring to pass. 
as we end 2 Kings, the lamp of David has been reduced to only a little flicker. But God's going to bring it again to a full flame. What's Paul say about when the Messiah came, when Jesus came? When was it? In the fullness of time. In the fullness of time. The great son of David, Jesus Christ, gave his life for his people outside Jerusalem at Golgotha. And one day he's going to return in power and glory. And he'll sit on David's throne. And his glory will be far above anything David's or Solomon's ever was. As Jesus said in Matthew 12, 42, now one greater than Solomon is here. God's purposes are marching on in spite of the disobedience of his people. He's disciplining them. He's correcting them. But he's not done with them. In fact, his greatest work in them is yet to come. Good news, isn't it? Well, I think we could sum up First and Second Kings by quoting from Numbers 32, 30, uh, 32, 23 that said, you may be sure that your sins will find you out. The day of reckoning came for Israel and for Judah. Folks, who are we to think that God won't judge us? If God judged his own people, Israel and Judah, who are we to think that God won't judge us? I want you to see, first of all, tonight, as we close, judgment begins at the house of God. And you know what the Bible says about that, don't you? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As I've said at least two times before in this series, I gave you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. What was that quote? God does not allow his children to do what? To sin successfully. A third takeaway, God disciplines us because he loves us. Fourth, if we humble ourselves and learn through the discipline we learn from it, there is great hope of a new day. And then lastly, ultimately, God's plans will come to pass. You get discouraged at what you see in the headlines today and what we read going on in our nation and around the world. Uh, but I would remind you, God's still in charge. God's still in charge. And ultimately, the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdom of His Christ. Right? We're discouraged what we see on the landscape today, across the land and across the world. God's not done yet with His people. 
God's not done yet. Keep that in mind. Yeah, judgment day is coming. And it ain't going to be well for most people. Jesus said the road to destruction is broad and wide. And most people travel that road. Most are on that road to destruction. Judgment day is not going to be good for the majority of people. But for the people of God, there are glorious times that await us. So be encouraged. Anything in closing? How long have we been? We've been going through this. What about? How many weeks? It's been 20, 20 weeks, I think, just in the second Kings. It's been about 40, 40, 45 weeks. What now, Phil? Started in 06. <laughs> you feel it sometimes when you read this, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did it's like a broken record, isn't it? Richard? When all that destruction taking place in Jerusalem, um, where is the uh, Ark of the Covenant? Whatever happened? Is it, it once the last you heard of it? Yeah. Is that when it disappeared? As far as we know. Just back then, huh? Yeah. Wow. Don't tell Harrison Ford. Or do tell Harrison Ford again. Isn't he the one looking for it in the movies? You feel like this, don't you, as you go through these books? God is just. God is holy. And sin matters. God deals with the sin of His people. And we need to be reminded of that. But through Him, there's hope and forgiveness. And He reveals that supremely and ultimately through sending His Son, who will finally be the righteous King. <coughs> who will do perfectly in the eyes of the Lord, in the eyes of God. We've seen so many of these kings, they did almost righteously. Jesus Christ forever will do right. He will be the righteous king and ruler. Even some of the righteous ones we've seen, like Hezekiah, he was righteous. But then at the end, he does something stupid. You know, disobeys God. So he was righteous until he wasn't. <laughs> Jesus Christ will, is and will be eternally the righteous king and ruler. What are we going to study next? We're not going to start anything new until January. Are we not? I'm, I'm, well, we're, we're meeting Wednesday night next week. But the week of Christmas and after, we're not. So we'll be meeting next week and not for two Wednesday nights. So we're going to wait until we get in January to start a new series. I'm toying with a couple. I'll let you know. I'll let you know maybe next week. Well, I'm going to be something a little less 
historically intricate than First and Second Kings. Well, keep the notes I've given you. I hope you have all those. Go back to June. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Started there before then, even.